All right, you have a Bible? Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 18, and you're just going to hold a finger there for a minute, and then we're going to be on the screen with a verse in just a moment. We're in a series on prayer. I said that already. It's a series that I believe has been very fundamental to our lives in Christ, that we are to be a praying people, but that we don't pray usually because we don't believe or we have a, an idea that God is not for us. And we have been saying this. I've been saying this every week. God is for you. And I got no amens. Amen, pastor. God is for you. All right. He's not against you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. And when you talk to God in prayer, we, are, we have to approach with the confidence that not only does he hear us, but that he's on our side. And he wants to bless us with prosperity, with blessings, with uh, victory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. Our lives in Christ are to be a life of victory, not defeat. Of forward moving, not obsessing about our past. And if you are in Christ today, you can take confidence in knowing that your God in heaven is not upset at you. He loves you and wants what's best for you. Now I found a, I found a scripture that absolutely rocked my world concerning prayer. And when I read this scripture, I really thought, well, wait a second, maybe that's not saying what I think it's saying. And the more I studied it, the more I looked at it, the more I realized it's saying exactly what it's saying. And I was hesitant to share this because I thought, well, where's more scriptural evidence on this principle that I'm about to share with you today? And I looked through the Bible, and I realized that very great men of God prayed in the manner that I'm about to teach you how to pray. And that it is not uh, blasphemous, and it's not arrogant, and it's not uh, prideful. It's actually very biblical. And we're going to talk about presenting our case to God. Presenting our case to God. Making our case plain to Him. Laying it out. And letting Him know that we take His word seriously. And we're going to base our lives on it. And when necessary, listen, we're going to remind God of what he said. That's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, as we've already said in that wonderful song, we welcome you with praise. We are here for you. Now as we have gathered in this place, I pray you'll speak to every single heart. I pray that you will renew every single mind that we will walk out of this building with a renewed confidence in who we are and an expectancy that you are good and your mercies are new every morning and they never fail us. We give you these next few moments of our attention. Change us from the inside out. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody said a big amen. amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 62. It's going to be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6 and 7. I want you to look at this verse with me. He says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. Now look at these next words. These are the key words to this verse. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. 
I want you to read that verse 7 again. It says, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. In other words, don't give up. Somebody say, don't give up. Take no rest and give him. Who? God. Give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Let me give you some background to this verse. The people of Israel are in exile in Babylon. They're in exile because they blew it with God. They blew the covenant. They abandoned it. They started worshiping idols. They started uh, filling their lives with idolatry and immorality. And God said, I've got to remove you from the promised land because we had an agreement here and you didn't live up to it and it's time to bring punishment. And the Bible says God punishes those he loves. So he didn't give up on them. This was punishment. And he sent them off to Babylon for 70 years. And he told them through the prophets that it would be 70 years of exile in Babylon. And then eventually they would come back to the land. And if they prayed, and if they repented, and if they sought him, that he would graciously restore them back to the promised land of Israel. We all know how important Israel's land is to them. Even to this day, it was even more important back then. And so they knew... According to the scriptures in Chronicles from Solomon, we, we talked about this last week, that if they prayed, if they repented, if they sought God, that God would do what he said, and he would put them back in the land. He would restore or he would establish Jerusalem as the tabernacle or the city of God once again. Now in Isaiah chapter 62, we're almost to that 70-year moment, that 70-year point. They're in exile. And the people are praying, and they're repenting, and they're turning back to God. And Isaiah is a prophet, and he's calling the people to believe God for great things, to turn from their sin and follow God and believe Him for great things. And we're getting toward the end of the book of Isaiah, and this is a very, very, very powerful moment. He tells the exiles, he says, remember what God said about how 70 years and you'll be back. And how if you repent, he'll restore you. And how if you turn back to him, he'll come graciously and give you back the promised land that you have been exiled from. He says, I want you to put watchmen on your walls. Watchmen, people who know how to pray, people who know how to call on God. And I want these watchmen to do something. I want them, notice what he says, to put the Lord in remembrance. In other words, I want you to remind God of what he said. Whoops. I want you to remind God of what he said he would do until he does what he said he would do. Now, how many know that God will always do what he said? And here in the passage, he's telling the people of Israel, and I believe it's a principle to you and I today don't give up, take no rest. And don't give God any rest until you see God do for you in your life what he said he would do. Because you can take it to the bank. God is always true to his word. His promises never fail. Don't whine to God. Don't, ple don't plead to God like you don't have a case. Don't act as if God is against you. Read his word. Understand his grace. Understand his message to you is love. And start putting him in remembrance of what he said about you. And you will see God come through because he's faithful to his word.
My message to you is this. Present your case to God. See, prayer is not begging God for stuff. Prayer is not bullet listing like you're at Taco Bell's drive-up window. Asking God for what you need and making sure he knows what you need. He knows what you need. And prayer is not overcoming a reluctant spirit in God. No, in fact, sometimes prayer is petition, but many times prayer is proclamation. In other words, you're saying to God, I know what you said, God. And I know what it looks like all around me. And I know that the circumstances aren't that great. But I'm going to take you at this word. And I'm going to remind you of what you said. And I'm going to pray on this word and believe it will come to pass. Now, why does God ask us to remind him of his word? Is it because he forgets? No, he doesn't forget a thing. Here's why. God loves to see you find out how true his word is. And the only way you'll find that out is when you base your life on it. And you stake your claim on it. And you believe in spite of what you see. You believe because the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, not by sight. And you believe on what God has said for you. And you don't give up. You give him no rest until he establishes your life. Prayer is not begging. Prayer is not just petitioning. Prayer is proclaiming that God will do what he said he would do. Here's a scripture in 1 John chapter 5. It says, and this is the confidence. Somebody say confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That is God. That if we ask anything, somebody say anything. If we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. In other words, you're saying to God, God, I know your word is true. God, I know you always come through according to what you have said. And now I'm laying hold of it until it happens. This is a very powerful prayer. We need to put the Lord in remembrance of what he said for our lives. Now, kids know how to do this better than adults. I have three children now. You saw one of them up there on the screen just a little while ago. And I have an oldest daughter. Her name is Olivia. And I have said this from the day she began speaking, that she had better become a lawyer. Because she knows how to make an argument. And she knows how to argue that thing through until somebody gives in. I feel very bad for her her siblings because she's always getting what she wants. She is a tremendous reminder of of what people have said. Well, two weeks ago, I was, uh, I'd just come home from church, and we were uh, just resting on the couch and relaxing on Sunday afternoon, and she said to me, Dad, I need you to burn for me some songs. I need you to download them on iTunes. I need you to buy them, download them, and I need you to burn them on a CD, and I need it by next Thursday. Can you do that? And I really should have taken note of what I was about to say at that moment, because what I was about to say actually tied me down for the next week and a half, and I said to Olivia, of course, honey. And she said, you promise? And I said, I promise. I'll get it done for you. When do you need it? Thursday. Thursday. No problem. I'll do it. All right. And she walked away. Well, Monday went by. Tuesday went by. A week went by. We were four days away. And she said, Dad, I need that CD. I said, I know you need the CD. I'll get it to you as soon as I can. Well, another day goes by. Dad, you promised. You, you said you'd have this CD. Where's my CD? And I said, I'll get it to you. Promise. Hey, I, got, I got 48 hours. You don't know me from my college days. This is how I roll, all right? 
She said, okay, but you promised. And then the next day came, and then it was Wednesday, the day before. Early in the morning, as soon as I get out of bed, I am barely awake. And she's coming to me saying, Dad, you promised. Tomorrow is the day I need that CD burned and ready to go. I said, honey, I'll have it for you before you know it. We come, and now Wednesday is my busy day. I'm here all day, and then we have Bible study at night, so I'm preparing for Bible study, and we're here until about 9.30. And she comes barreling in for Bible study on Wednesday night, knocking on my office door. I'm telling you she should be a lawyer. And she just says, Dad, where's my CD? I said, I don't, I don't have it yet, honey. You're just going to have to wait. And she says, you said you would have it for me today. And I said, I know. I'll have it for you before tomorrow. When do you need it? Tomorrow. I'll have it for you tomorrow morning. And so I preached that Wednesday night and, and uh, went home uh, that night. And uh, my daughter, again, waiting for me to come home because uh, she gets home early. Dad, you said, where's that CD? I need that CD. She did not give up. She took no rest. And she gave me no rest until what was I doing a week ago Wednesday at 10.30 at night? Downloading songs, purchasing them, downloading them, and burning them onto a CD. And she woke up Thursday morning, and there sitting on her backpack was her CD freshly burned from iTunes. I tell you that story to show you what a good dad I am. No. I tell you that story to say what my daughter did to me is what we need to do with our Heavenly Father. Take no rest, he said. Don't give up. You don't see it yet? That's not a sign for you to give up. That's a sign for you to press through. And we have a direct command from God to not stop letting him know what he said until what he said comes to pass in our lives. Isn't that good? So I want to give you three points on how to make sure what God has said comes to pass in your life. Number one, you got to know your case. Number one, know your case. My daughter knew she had a case. Do you know why? She heard my word. She heard what I said, and then she banked her entire request on what I had said. You see, here's the problem with most of us. Most of us aren't as aware as we need to be of what God has said. We need to know our case. Let me ask you a question. Do you know your case? Do you know if you have a case? Or are you asking God for something that he knows is not right for you? Are you basing your request on what you know God has laid forth in his word for you and for me? Or are you basing it on what you feel like you should have or what other people have? Know that this word is for your benefit. This word is for your good. This word is living and active. The Bible says about itself that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your life is connected to the intake of this word. And some of us, let me just be clear, are living far below the standard of what God has available to us simply because we have yet to take him at his word. Amen. Know your case. Now, Luke 18. This is another story very similar to what I'm talking about. About a story of a, a widow who had a case. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Somebody say, don't lose heart. And he told them this parable so that they wouldn't lose heart in prayer. And here's how it goes. He says, in a certain city there was a judge. Now listen to the description of the judge. He neither feared God and he did not respect man. How many of you would like to stand before a judge like that? And there was a widow in that city. Now the reason why Jesus uses a widow in the story is to use the lowest possible player in that society. Widows in Jesus' day had no rights. They couldn't own land. They couldn't have a job. They couldn't uh, purchase certain things. They had little to any say about their lives whatsoever. And in many third world countries today, that's still the case. And so in Jesus' day, a widow was the, the lowest on the totem pole of people of prestige and power. All right, so she has nothing going for her, but look what happens. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused. But afterward, after all of her nagging and her incessant requests, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? That's you, by the way, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian. Will not God give justice to his Christians who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them and speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of faith on the earth? In the story, a widow had no rights, had no power, had no prestige, had no authority authority all she had was a spirit of tenacity to not give up before an unjust judge very simple question why did this widow not give up very simple answer she knew she had a case she knew she was right see when you don't have a case you give up when you know you're in the wrong, you'll fight it for a little while, but after a while, you'll be like, I know it's really not right, so whatever. But this woman knew it. In fact, the Bible says in verse 3, she said, give me justice. Give me justice. The word in the Greek could be translated vindication. Give me vindication. In other words, here's what she knew. She knew what was rightfully hers. She knew what belonged to her. She knew, according to the law, what was right and what was wrong, and all she was experiencing so far was wrong, and she wasn't going to give up until she saw what was right come through in her life. She knew her case. Christian, let me ask you a question. Do you know your case? Do you know what rightfully belongs to you as a child of God? Are you aware that the peace of God that transcends all understanding is rightfully yours in Christ Jesus? Are you aware that the love of God can be shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit? That no matter how unloved you feel, the Holy Spirit can give you the love of God. No, love that no man and no woman can give you, by the way. 
Are you aware of the contentment that brings great godliness to your life, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6? Are you aware that the joy of the Lord is your strength, and that no matter what is happening on the outside, that according to his word, God, you said that your spirit will give me the joy of the Lord, and that's going to be my strength in the midst of all these tough times. Are you aware of what's rightfully yours, according to God's word? You've got to know it. Know your case. Secondly, present your case. Present your case to God. Don't give up. Let him know. I think that God is honored when we present to him written evidence of what he said. He's not up there saying, man, I know, I wrote the book. All right, so just put that down. Stop using my words against me. No, no. He wants us to see this thing work. And so you got to present it. You got to tell him, God, I've read your bestseller. <laughs> I like it. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what it says about me. And I know what you have done for others, according to this book. And I know that if you've done that in the past, then what you need to do for me is not that big of a deal. I have seen your power. I have beheld your glory. And I'm fully convinced that this obstacle in my life is no big deal compared to the size of my God. Some of you need to stop talking about your problems to God and start talking to your problems about the size of your God. Let them know who they're dealing with. A couple months ago, uh, I, I have been announcing to you about John, our, our youth minister. He's here tonight, by the way. Um, came to me a couple months ago, really down about the, his cancer struggle and going through the chemotherapy, and it was really weighing on him, taking him down in spirits. And I sat down with him, and I said, John, we need to pray according to God's word. And I opened up to Isaiah 53, verse 5, and I said, John, here it is. Here it is, written for you right there in black and white. By his wounds, we are healed. And so we're going to pray according to the word of God today. And we prayed according to the word of God. And I said, God, you said that we are healed by the wounds of Jesus. Last week, I told you one doctor gave the report cancer-free. This week, all three gave the report cancer-free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, you said. You need to start learning how to do that. God, you said. What, what, what do you need to find evidence for in your life? Maybe you need to find evidence for healing. God, you said, by his wounds, we are healed. Does healing always happen? No. But you can take his word up and say, Lord, I believe that in the midst of this non-healing, you also said that in all things you are working together for the good of them that love you and are called according to your purpose. So even if I don't get the healing, Lord, I know that it's going to be good, whatever you have for me. Why? Because you said. Amen, someone. You need to know, God, uh, when you're feeling alone, you need to be able to tell God, I feel alone. And God, you said you'll never leave me or forsake me. God, you said you'll be with me to the end of the age. God, you said Jesus' name is Emmanuel. That is God with us. If you're feeling afraid of what might happen to you in the future, you need to say, God, I know you said that you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. These are your promises, God, and I'm going to take you up on them. 
Maybe you doubt your ability. Maybe you're afraid of what might happen to you by someone else. You need to stand on the word of God and say, God, you said the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27, verse 1. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the defense of my life. God, you said you would defend me. Take him up on his word, stand on it, and see God come through according to his word. Present your case. Present your case. There was a king in the Old Testament. His name's Hezekiah. And he was a godly king. There was a lot of ungodly kings. This guy was godly. And in 2 Kings chapter 20, here's what it says about Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. So he's on his deathbed. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord. Now here's the same prophet that we just talked about. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. How many would like that report from the prophet? <laughs> set your house in order, you shall die, you shall not recover. Hezekiah is getting this news on his deathbed. What would you do? What would you say? Would you whine? Would you cry, oh God, this isn't fair. Oh God, why do you always let me down? Oh, life stinks for me. I don't even know why I bother trying. That's what a lot of people do. A lot of Christians do that. That's not what Hezekiah did. Let's look at what Hezekiah does. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, listen to what he says. Now, O Lord, please remember. Somebody say remember. He's telling the God of all creation to remember something. Please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness, and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. That's his prayer. Just, Lord, remember that, you know, you have a couple promises about walking uprightly before you. You said you'll satisfy the upright with long life, according to Psalm uh, 91. And so he's taking God at what he said. Verse 4, and before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. And on the third day, God loves third days, by the way, on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah went and told him the good news. Now I want you to see simply what happened in Isaiah's case was that he reminded God of what he said. He stood on God's word. And God not only honored his word concerning his sickness, but God also delivered him from his enemies and then gave him a prosperous end to his reign. When you stand on God's word, here's the deal. God overperforms according to his word. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine, uh, according to the power that is at work within us, do you understand that God wants to do more for you, not less for you? He is abundantly, exceedingly, in all ways powerful to perform great things for his children. God... God, you said. Practice it with me. Ready? God, you said. Are you feeling encouraged? 
I'm telling you, if you don't feel encouraged after this message, check your pulse. <laughs> There's another guy I want to talk about, because I, I want to prove to you that I'm not just preaching something that I feel is right. It's biblical. There's another guy. His name is Jacob. Jacob has a less than stellar past. If you know anything about the Bible, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau is the firstborn. And Jacob's name means deceiver. And he lives up to his name. And he first tricks his brother out of his birthright by selling him a bowl of stew. And shame on his brother, by the way. It wasn't all Jacob's fault. And then he cohorts with his mom. He and his mom get together and he disguises himself as Esau with, a, with hair on his arms from an animal and, and the smell of the field. And he goes into his father and he pretends to be Esau and gets the fatherly, the kind of fatherly priestly blessing that they would do in those days. And he steals that too. And then he runs off away from Esau because Esau wants to kill him. And he goes and he lives with Laban. And he's, you know, doing the same thing in Laban's house. He's getting his flocks, he's getting his herd, and he, he has this lifestyle of just take, 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 take. And then he has a moment of conversion with God, and he dedicates his life to God. He says, God, if you'll be with me, then I will give you a tenth of everything that I get. And he does that, and he honors God with his life while he's in Laban's household. Now, about 14 years go by, and Esau is still, you know, mad as anything at Jacob. He still wants to kill him. And God says to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, he says, time's up, Jacob, you need to go home. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. That's what God said. Now, if you were Jacob, and you knew your brother wanted to kill you, and you were having a good life over there with Laban, by the way, making lots of money and doing very well for yourself, would you feel inclined to go back? No, but he listens to the word of God, and he hears God say, I'll be with you, and so he goes. Now, on his way back to his home country, he gets the report from the scouts ahead of him that Esau is coming, and he's thinking, is Esau mad or is Esau not mad? Is he over the whole stealing the birthright thing, or is he still mad about that? And the report comes back and says, Esau is on his way to meet you, and he's coming with 400 armed men. Is Esau over it or not? <laughs> And Jacob freaks out, but he doesn't give in to fear. Here's what Jacob does. He does exactly what Hezekiah did. He starts praying to God. And it says that Jacob said, Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Oh Lord, who said? In other words, God, you said. You said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And now notice his humility. He says, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. In other words, I'm very prosperous. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Verse 12, what does he say? But you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand on the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. First off, Jacob is extremely humble. All right, he's learned his ways, and he's turned around, and, he's, and he says to God, I'm not worthy of this. You've blessed me far beyond what I deserve. And that, by the way, is always the right attitude before God. 
But notice that he's humble about himself, but he's bold about the word of God. Because he says boldly to God, you said to go back home. And you said you would be with me. And now I'm basing my request on what you said, and I'm going home. And the Bible says that he goes and he sees Esau, and somehow God intervenes. And Esau has this change of heart, and he runs off to see Jacob. And they embrace, and they reconcile, and they live in harmony from that day forward. What did Jacob do? This liar, this deceiver, this guy with the, with the spotted past, which maybe many of you have, all he did was he based his request on what God had said. And he knew his case, and he presented his case, and God came through for him. Can God come through for you? Absolutely. Thirdly, not only do you know your case, not only do you present your case, but number three, you persist persist with your case. I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 62 as we, as we get ready to close this service. Here's what it says. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest. What does that mean? Keep praying. Keep pressing through in faith believing that God will do what he said. And know that a delay is not a denial. God is the master of perfect timing. And all that his delays are, are just preparation for when he'll do what he said he would do. You might be in the midst of a delay right now with something that you're praying about. God, I'm praying for my husband to get saved. And God, you said that if I do it with quietness and a gentle spirit, that he'll see it and he'll repent. God, you said, 1 Peter chapter 3, maybe you're praying for your marriage to be healed. And you don't understand, you're Christians, and you're wondering why your marriage is in such a flux. Here's what you need to start saying. God, you said, you said it is not good for man to be alone. This whole marriage thing is your idea. So now make my marriage as good as you said it should be. Uh, maybe you're wondering why you're not getting ahead in life, and you're wondering where the money has gone, and, 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 and you are tithing, because that's a big one. You've got you've to not just base your request on what God said he would do, but you doing what God said you should do. And you're not seeing the, the, the fruitfulness of your life financially. And God said in Malachi that if you honor me with a tithe, then I will pour out a blessing on your life. I prayed for someone last week about that. I said, God, you said... And I asked her first, are you tithing? She said, yes, we are, faithfully. I said, well, then we're going st to stand on Malachi 3.10. God, you said if we tithe that you will pour out blessings and you'll rebuke the devourer. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to fire you up tonight to understand that if God said he would do it, you have every right to call him on it and let him know you've read his book, you believe his book, you obey his book, and you're living by the book and you're understanding his promises will come true in your life. Amen. Present your case and then persist. <laughs> persist in your case. Like that woman with the unjust judge. She didn't have anything going for her. She had nothing. She had no money. She had no power. She had no rights in that society. All she had was a case. She knew what was rightfully hers. And she went to God and she said, and she went to the judge and she said, give me what is rightfully mine. Can we have that kind of boldness with God? Can you? 
Because praying is not begging. Praying. I mean, I, I, I have three kids. I'm telling you, if my kids came to me and just crawled on the floor and begged me to take them to get ice cream, I would be heartbroken. I'd say, what kind of a father do you think that I am? I love you, and, and no, I don't feel like going to get ice cream, but because I love you, I'll go get ice cream. And, the, and Jesus says this, hey, hey, you fathers, you Tim, Pastor Tim, you know, you're evil compared to God. And if you're like that with your children, how much more will God be toward his children? I want you to know your case. I want you to present your case. And thirdly, I want you to persist in your case until you see God come to pass. Do you receive that? Amen. Amen. I want you to stand with me tonight.